Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates, hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and I could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, welcome everybody to episode number 163 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, December the 3rd, 2022, and my name is Jeremy Lee. I want to thank last week's guest, Chris Sewell from Baseball Card Collector Investor Dealer in that order for joining us. That was an amazing episode. Feel free to check that out on the YouTube channel. It is already like maybe the fifth or sixth most viewed episode ever on this channel, and that is one week later. So be sure to check that out. I also want to thank the team from Sports Card Investor for joining the Hobby Hangout last night on the channel. We went for just over two hours, had a great discussion. Feel free to check that out. It was four members from the team, including Jeff Wilson, and uh, it it ended up being a great episode. So be sure to check that out as well. Tomorrow night, 7 o'clock Eastern on Collectible Live. Our guests will be Dave Marino and Sarah Martin from Collectible. That'll be a good episode. I Actually, sorry about that. That is going to be Tuesday. That is not tomorrow. That is Tuesday. We had to reschedule Collectible Live for this week to next week. Also want everybody to know, later that night on Tuesday, which will be December the 6th, I will be on the virtual holiday on the Sports Card Investor YouTube channel. That is a two-day event, December 6th and 7th, and I am coming on at some point on Tuesday night around nine o'clock Eastern, something like that. So be sure to check me out there if you are, would be interested in doing that. Lots of free giveaways, gifts, prizes, uh, all sorts of content that they're going to have on their virtual holiday event. And I believe it is the third year that they have done that. Also, next Saturday on Sports Cards Live, our guest will be Catherine Harrison. She is from Magpie. You can check out Magpie online. She will be joining us next Saturday on the show. I would like to shout out the Center Stage app. You can download the Center Stage app on the, in the App Store for quick comps, whether you are pricing cards to sell at a card show or you're shopping at a card show or for any other purpose. The app is continuously improving, so please join me in supporting the great team they have and the innovation that they are undertaking. Also, shout out Leighton Sheldon and Just Collect. Leighton will be joining us a little bit later today for a vintage update segment. And Whatnot is back as a sponsor of the show You can check out Whatnot, download the app in the App Store as well. They have auctions 24 hours a day, group breaks, buy it nows, all sorts of action on Whatnot. Check that out on their app. I want to thank all the loyal viewers, listeners. We're going strong, everybody. We're going strong. If you're not yet subscribed to the channel, please go ahead and do so. And as always, your comments, your questions are in play Let's get to tonight's guest. I see him here in the back room. Ken, good to see you. Tonight's guest, he's got a great story, actually. We're going to get more into it when he comes out. But he started in the hobby in 1986 as an 11-year-old sweeping sweeping the floors in his LCS. He started setting up at card shows at the age of 15 and opened his first shop before his 16th birthday. He had two shops by the time he was 18 and now owns four stores in British Columbia. His favorite team is the Vancouver Canucks. His favorite athletes are Pavel Bure and Gino Ojik. He's originally from Langley, BC, and currently still hailing from Langley, BC. Let's bring him out. Ken Richardson, welcome to Sports Cards Live. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you doing today? (laughs) I'm good, Ken. You know, usually when I start the show, 
I had a couple minutes to chat with the guest before we went live, but you literally just sat down. You just got home. I, ho- I hope you didn't have to rush too hard to get to get here for the episode. Uh, not not too bad, but we had uh, we had Kirk McLean in signing today from the same team as uh, Gino and uh, Pavel. So I took a couple extra minutes with him, and then uh, got stuck in the. Uh, Vancouver traffic a little bit on the way home so I apologize for that but uh <laughs> here we are well no worries and as I said to you as you were dry so to everybody listening watching I texted you like three minutes ago four minutes ago I said what's your ETA because you know usually the guest is here and you said I'm four blocks away from my house I'll be there I said okay I'll read my opening announcements a little bit slower tonight and uh, I don't know if I did that or not but um it's good that you got here we're ready to go so let's jump into it. Before we do, let's just say hi to the chat. We got Jake Dahl is with us. What's going on, Jake? Happy Saturday to you. Perk is with us. Yeah, Saturday night already. It's Dece- Guys, it's December already. It's already December 2022. My God, it's crazy. What's up, LA Collection? Good to see you. Thank- nice to see you last night. Daniel Busby's here. All is well. What's going on, Gerald Fortier is here. Always good to see you, Gerald. Scott Pope, good to see you. Greetings and welcome everybody else who is watching and just not commenting. Oh, there's Dave Kaplan. He's uh, he's local to you, Ken. He's in the Vancouver area. What's going on, Dave? Great to see you as well. So, Ken, I mentioned in my intro that you, you had two shops by the time you were 18 years old. And when I was 18 years old, I wasn't, I had no shops. I, most people had no shops. Can you just give us a bit of context as to kind of how did you come about setting up for the first time when you were 11, when you were 13 years old, you got your first job at 11, take us through your history and, you know, emphasize the, I want you to emphasize how you've been in this, the hobby your whole life. So take it away if you don't mind. Well, I I got into the hobby as just, you know, happenstance, you know, I, it wasn't something I was planning on that at the particular time, uh, I ended up at a, at a, at the time, there wasn't any like real card shops. So there was collectible stores. They sold stamps, coins, cards, comics. Like they did, they did the whole gambit uh, because you couldn't, you know, you couldn't make a living at any one particular of those, of those items, but collectively you could. So, you know, at the time uh, when I was 11, I think I was in grade five, I think. I think that's what it was. Anyways, we all had to do a report on a different co- uh, country. So I kind of, I took notes of the, the countries that everybody was, was doing a report on. And uh, when I was at the stamp and coin store looking for some stamps and coins for, for, for my country, I pulled out all the same ones. So I got to buy them for a nickel and I, told, I took them to school and sold them for a quarter. And uh, so I was spending so much time in the shop, the guy ended up offering me a job. You know, I was only making, I don't know, at the time, probably three bucks an hour or something like that. And uh, and it started to get, uh, and then I started making sets from, he bought vending cases. I think the first one I ever did was 87, 88 Opeachy, where he gave me a vending case to, to take home. And I got to sort the whole thing and then I got to keep a set for myself. 
that was a lot of hours for for not a lot of return but but i was a kid and and uh it was cool uh and then by spending so much time in the store i started to see comics take off and so i got into comics a little bit at the time and uh then when i was 13 i started doing uh comic book and card shows and then uh, an opportunity arose when i was 15 to open a small shop uh, in a commercial building that my dad owned, he sold car parts. So you could go and get a ball joint for your 57 Chevy and a, and a, and a box of 9091 upper deck mm-hmm. all in one shop. And, uh, then the place that I got my first job in, uh, they, that company had sold and the person he sold it to decided to move the company to, uh, a higher profile location in the city. And uh, the landlord rented the place out to me. And that was when I was 18 and the rest is history. So you got two shops at the age of 18. Here we are, however many, what is that? 30 or so years later, you've got you've got four shops now. Take us through a little bit more. What, what's been going on since you were 18 years old to get to today? Has it been... Has it been pastime sports the whole time and you just opened a couple more locations or were there some ups and downs? Give us a a bit of the hit. I mean, I found it when you told me the other day, Ken, that you've never had an employer your whole life. You've never had a job. Well, I did when I was 11. Except you were 11. Fair enough. Fair (laughs) enough. But I mean, that's not even how does that even count at the age of 11? But that's pretty amazing that you've never really worked for anybody in your whole life at least since you were 11 years old. And so take us through a bit of what's been going on for you since you opened up that second shop at the age of 18. Um, well, the uh, the market has certainly had its ups and downs and, and changed throughout um, through times. There was some really tough times for sure. Uh, the lockout of 2004. So we can fast forward a little bit. And uh, I met some some really really great people, and they were they were a little bit more experienced uh, than me in business in general. Um, they're a little bit older, um, and so in 1998 we opened up another company, and uh, we opened up in Metrotown, one of the premier malls in uh, Vancouver, and then. Uh, we opened up a second and third location as a group and that was called collector's den. And that was with Daryl and Larry Weiss. And, uh, they had their own store in Richmond. So I had a little bit more experience there, uh, operating a little bit larger company and working, you know, working more as a team. It was, it was really, really good experience for me. But uh, the lockout of 2004 was, was devastating for, for our, our company as a group. So we ended up uh, closing a few of the stores down. Um, and then the market in whole in 2008 to 2013, what took a big dip, not just hockey, but football, baseball, basketball, the whole, the whole thing. Um, so... Those were some pretty lean times. Uh, And then being in Canada, uh, when 
2015 came around, the market itself was also in much a healthier place. And then to have a, you know, an athlete like Connor McDavid come into the marketplace um, really was a game changer for us. Um, there was a lot more stability. There was a lot more uh, strength and profit, uh, quite reasonable um, to think. Mm-hmm. And uh, from there, things just just grew. All right. And here we are now for shops. And, you know, I kind of talked about in the description of the episode that we would talk about, you know, how to be successful in this industry in a down market. You've obviously had to withstand some down markets, but the current state of the hobby where we're at, I, I mean, it's not like I question whether or not the market is. It's so hard. It's so hard to talk about this these days. I want to say a question whether or not the market's down. Obviously, card values are down from you know six eight months ago, a year ago, etc. But you've had some. You have some good sort of uh, statistics and actual like hard data that that quantifies you know really the trends that you've seen and experienced in your shops. And when you have four shops, I think you have a you know you have a really a more accurate representation of the market than if you just had one store. Now it's still going to be regional because all your shops are in, in BC with, you know, in the, in the Vancouver, the greater Vancouver area, but you still have, um, you know, more data than most people do in, you know, as far as LCSs go. Uh, so. Oh, and we have, and we have the best hockey team in the NHL right now too. So. Um, okay. <laughs> of course I am joking. We're we're you know the fact that the the team is struggling um and and numbers are still good uh is is very positive for us. Definitely very positive. So let's talk about how how do you with your shop sort of differentiate yourself from the market from from the I'll say the competition but in a way I know that a lot of the card shop owners across the country and and the US as well a lot of you guys really you have a bit of a, a fraternity. You, you guys keep in touch. You've got different groups that you're parts of in order to share some best practices to help really grow the pie in, instead of trying to eat each other's peace. And so let's talk a little bit about what have you done in your stores over the last couple of years? And what did you do during the pandemic to try to level out your revenue so that you wouldn't be, uh, you know, because you obviously weren't getting any foot traffic. So let, let's talk a little bit about that. Let's start with um, how did you do during the pandemic and what did you do to stay afloat? Well, geez, during the pandemic, you didn't really have to do much. Um, if you had a, a reasonable online presence, um, which we did, um, I the market was so crazy that uh, you didn't really have to chase it very much. I think it was chasing you. Uh, pre-pandemic and post-pandemic is probably a, you know, a, a better evaluation than than during the pandemic because it didn't really matter what you had. Everything was selling. It was it was really such a crazy time that you it any kind of evaluation it it should be really thrown out the window because it's no way to build a business plan okay so talk about it then tell like what okay. did you, you 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 didn't have to do too much that the people were coming to you so let's move forward from there and talk a bit about 
what have your strategies been throughout your, the last several years in order to differentiate you from other stores and to, you know, to, to really keep on, I feel like LCSs, local card shops need to, and over the past 20 years have needed to find ways to stay relevant and to not become, you know, the, 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 the looking like a hoarder's house, you know what I mean? Where, where they can be neat and tidy or they can be welcoming to, to people and, you know, hosting different sorts of events, that sort of thing. What have you, you mentioned earlier that the reason why you were running a little bit late today was because you had Kirk McLean, who's an all-timer goaltender for the Vancouver Canucks in your shop signing autographs. So is that something that you've really focused on? Well, events, events is really, you know, you got to give people a time and a place. No, no one wants to miss out on something, right? So uh, and and provide some entertainment. You can't just sell a box of cards. Anyone can buy a box of cards and have it delivered to their house. Um, so, you know, if you want to wait, you can you can have something delivered to the house. You have to have great inventory so that when someone wants something, they can come and get it. Um, I can talk about pre-pandemic a little bit, and then then post-pandemic or, or what my plans are going forward. Yeah. Um, so pre-pandemic, we had card show in the shop. So every month we would have a card, a card show on a Sunday. We would have trade nights. Uh, we would do live breaking in the shop and actually have a party every Saturday night where we had uh, pop and pizza for everybody, hot dogs, popcorn. We, we did all kinds of stuff to to make it a community where people could come in and not just enjoy cards, but enjoy the social aspect of collecting. And I think that was the main thing that separated us from what other people were doing. Um, and so when obviously the, the spring of 2020 came around, um, that didn't happen anymore. And then we had a we had a period where where everyone was stuck at home and, and the market was so strong that you know we really didn't do anything and we we got away from that that in store experience which I I do really do believe is what separated us from everybody else um, and now we're just starting the the events again so last month we had. Uh, five people in from from the winnipeg jets uh wha uh okay. from the mid 70s so that was our first like real event that we had done uh since 20 uh february 2020 we had marcus naslin into one of the shops um and so that was the first event that we had done so now our second event was today uh we had uh kirk mclean in uh, next month we have uh, Trevor Linden coming in, and you know so we're expanding on all that type of stuff. We're we're really looking forward to, you know, trade nights, uh, card show in the shop, Magic the Gathering tournaments, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh. We we're we're a, we were a jam-packed seven day a week event uh, based place. And we put it all to bed. And uh, in 2023, we're going to get 
fully back on track with all that type of stuff. Because so I think got, that's got, what's going to separate. Well, hold um, on. You've got you've got Trevor Linden coming into the shop in January. I think it's worth noting that Trevor Linden is like a cult hero in Vancouver. He must be, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but is he the most popular athlete in all of BC? Absolutely. He could he could run for mayor, premier, whatever he, he could he he would definitely win. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he well, hasn't done he hasn't done a public signing. Uh, geez, I think in ten years, like it was post uh, or pre the time he was president of uh, the Vancouver Canucks. Which when did so you have him coming into the shop at the, in January? I mean, that's going to be a busy day for for that particular store, will it not? Oh, it's. It, it's going to be insane. We're actually offering a free autograph to everyone. So we're not even charging. That's amazing. So let me ask this. I mean, if you're giving advice to shop owners, if any other shop owners are watching right now, we're going to listen to this later. Like, is it, is it easy enough for a local shop owner to reach out to the, the local professional sports franchise and say, Hey, I'd like to get somebody who plays for you or has played for you to come in. Like, how do you, how do you, develop the connection what what do you what would kind of advice would you give a, a, a shop owner somewhere else who wants to have an event like that having a signing with an athlete uh i would probably not start with the most popular guy in the city that's definitely number one uh you know you have to have a little bit of experience because everything that you think uh will go right most certainly won't the first few times you do it um geez it uh some guys are easier to connect with than others i mean i've tried to get trevor out uh talking through different uh channels for many many years and uh this this one was fortunate that it just uh fell in my lap um but you know start with with not the biggest names and slowly work your way up, get a rapport. I mean, those, those big, bigger name athletes, they need to know that they're not going to go into a situation that isn't controlled very, very well. Um, because the, you know, they know they're going to draw a very large crowd and they need to know that, that you've got, a history and, and experience uh, managing that crowd. So if you're going to approach anybody, a, a handler or a, a representative from the team, let them know that it's going to be under control, security, proper lineups, you know, you'll stick to your times, you'll get them paid. All these things need to be expressed to even have a chance at getting somebody, unless you're established in the, in the, in the community and you, you do outreach and you do maybe some charitable stuff and that sort of thing. It could be easier that way, but um, okay. Let's. Uh, what I'm going to do now is we're going to run through some more of the comms that have come in. Say hi to a few people. Uh, we do have Leighton Sheldon has joined us. He's in the back room, so he's going to come on and we're going to have a chat with him. He'll provide us with uh, his vintage update topic of the day, and uh, we'll carry on from there. So first of all, JP Brabant, uh, second time making it to a live show. Great to see you again. One of one memorabilia cards. If you aren't following these guys on Instagram, you should be. Check them out and the, the very cool service they provide. Welcome to the show, guys. The Loud Collector is with us. Oh, it's great to see you, pal. 
Uh, yeah, you're welcome for the for the show. Grizzly Silver says, good evening to you both. What are your thoughts on Makar and where his cards may climb to? I mean, Ken, I'll, I'll just say to that, Makar's cards have climbed super high already. I don't know how much further they can climb, but that's just me. I, I'm never going to tell you what someone's card, what, what a card's value is going to do. What do you think of the value of Makar's, of Makar's cards right now? Oh boy, I think there's I think there's a lot of upside already built in. Uh, I can only think of one defenseman in the history of hockey that has has very high values. Um, there's been a lot of good defensemen in the last 50 years. Only one has high values. Uh, hopefully, McCarr will be number two, but it's hard to factor all that stuff in. I'd probably be a seller, but. That's just yeah. me. So we're talking about Kale McCarr, defenseman for the Colorado Avalanche, who uh, has just ha- had an amazing season last year with a ton of accolades. Collector's Dream is with us. Joe Perot is here. What's going on, pal? Mod Cult, happy Saturday to you. Brendan Ryan, what's going on? Dave Snyder, Robert R. Brendan Ryan says, Mandato- mandatory penmanship classes for the athletes. That, that, that would make a lot of sense, actually. Cardi C's back. What's going on, buddy? Corey Carr is here. How are you, pal? Been a while, says Ken, the man, the myth, the legend. Cardi C collects Kale McCarr, I believe, says fastest defenseman ever to 200 points. That does say a lot. And Willie T says, Ken, have you gotten to the card-breaking side of the hobby? Have you? Uh, we did We did a lot uh, up until July, uh, summer that just passed and uh, I took a break because I was going to the national and obviously I wasn't going to break over that uh, time period. I did have plans to uh, start back up again in September, but to be quite honest, the retail business and everything else that we we've been doing has been, just just so busy and and so successful that uh we haven't gotten back to the breaking breaking is a bit of a grind it's a it's a ton of work it can be very very successful for the right people but but for me it was it was a lot of work and uh when you're trying to run four stores at the same time in an online store and it was just too much for me. We're going to, we're going to revisit that uh, in January, I think. All right. Very good. Very good. And uh, there's Mike from Eastridge saying, hello. I know you, you know, Micah, as do I. Okay. Mike, what's happening, buddy. Good to see you. All right. Let's bring out late. It's funny because, you know, Leighton Sheldon is also a retailer, does some breaking. You're a retailer. So let's bring him out. And I don't know if you guys know each other, Leighton, Ken, have you guys, uh, are you familiar with each other? Hey Ken, how are you today? I'm well, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Yeah, of course. Uh, great to see you late. And I'm enjoying these these vintage update segments that we're doing. And you always come on. I think this is the fourth or fifth time now. And you present the topic. I don't know what it is. I always look forward to hearing what it is. So um, unless you have any questions for Ken, just on what you heard in the last few minutes, if not, like, let's launch right into it. Absolutely. So first and foremost, like I said, appreciate you gentlemen letting me join today. Um, I'm actually still wearing my uh, garb from the card show. Uh, we were at, uh, when I say we, my son and I, uh, we went down to the Valley Forge, Pennsylvania card show this weekend, better known as the Philly show. If you ever want to check it out, go to phillyshow.com. 
Um, it was really, really busy. It was my son Crosby's first ever time coming to a card show with me and helping dad uh, be an exhibitor. Yes, honey, I'm talking about you. He's in the room. Um, so he's up a little bit late tonight. Uh, anyway, we won't what's up, Crosby? It. Yeah. Uh, so um, I wanted to give a show update. I thought that was the first place to start. We'll kind of see what we have with our time. Um, but from the, the grounds of one of the most popular shows in the entire country and one of the longest running, um, we exhibited both as Vintage Breaks and Just Collect this past weekend, Jeremy. Um, and we're actually still going to be uh, there tomorrow. Um, but Crosby and I left at the end of the show today. Um, and so first and foremost, show as an overall was wonderful. It's hard to have a bad time at a card show. Um, Friday, meaning yesterday, was a little bit light on the attendance for whatever reason or another. However, as light as yesterday was in attendance, today was bumping. And kudos to Joe Drellick and his team. But the, the card show itself recently moved venues from a very popular Valley Forge Casino over to the Oaks uh, Convention Center. And so some of the intimacy of the show had been lost. However, today, guys, because of the sheer volume of people there, whether it be they were there for the show, they were there for the autographed guests, a little bit of both, or a player to be named later, um, the place was bananas. And if actually we were at the old location, I believe that they would have had to hold back a certain amount of people from coming inside. And so at least it could accommodate. Uh, as far as cards go, um, Vintage not only was really strong, but I found more than ever, because I hung out at the booth a little bit more than usual because of my son, um, a lot of people who were either avid Vintage collectors or collectors of modern, but trying to understand that Vintage perspective as to like, hey, am I nuts? I've seen a lot of things getting softer and modern. Even though I know some vintage is down, it seems like vintage is retaining its value a little bit better. What do you recommend? And so kind of spin that off from here because I could talk for hours, as you know, Jeremy. <laughs> um, so what I wanted to cover was I thought this was a great question. I don't want to name the collector um, uh, in case he decided that he'd like to be private. But a gentleman came up very nonchalant and actually had this box of what I thought was cards. I never asked to see them because he didn't offer and I didn't want to press my luck, so to speak. Um, and he's like, no, I really like your stuff. So oh, thanks so much. And he just got right into it. He says, what do you think about the 52 Tops Mantle? And I said, well, you know, it's a great card. I'm like, you know, do you have any for sale? I'm kind of joking. And you know, he's not really cracking a smile yet, but we're getting there. And so he said really what he was considering doing, um, he said, hey, what if you had X amount of dollars? And for the sake of discussion, we're going to use 80000 because I think that's might, might have been what we were discussing in the show. He said, if you had $80,000 to deploy and you were going to buy a 52 Tops Mantle in a lower grade, of course, or a 51 Bowman Mantle in a higher grade, and let's just even assume they're both centered for the sake of discussion. So you're going to spend the max, the 80000 you have available to get the best 52 Tops Mantle or the best 51 Bowman Mantle and I really, I really liked the question because it felt like something we would discuss on a show like this. Um, and so, like I said, shout out uh, to the gentleman I met today. We engaged in a wonderful conversation. Um, and so, of course, I'd love to hear what your audience thinks. Um, but I'm going to tell you what I told this gentleman. And I paused because, of course, we all want to deal, right? We all want to say to ourselves, oh, let's buy such and such, even though... The RPA is the main card. Or for modern guys, 
let's buy the third year, for example, because I think it's still affordable. Meanwhile, you don't really want the third year. You want the rookie, but you're buying the third year because you can afford it. So come back to center. This is what I told him my opinion was based on what he was asking. I said, it's unfortunate I'm actually giving you this answer because I don't want to. I'd actually rather buy the 51 Bowman Mantle because it's his first year card. You got to get the whole, you guys already know the whole song and dance. I don't have to go into it. But I said, the reality of it is, I don't see any worldwide like actors, singers, sports players ever wearing a 51 Bowman Mantle around their neck. Except maybe, maybe if it's a 10. The point being is that I think 52 Tops Mantle in my, in my mind, in my heart, and anything in between, it's become such an iconic card that even if you're not in the hobby, it's like your mother might know about a 52 Mantle, just like your mother might have heard of Babe Ruth. Your mother's not going to know what a 51 Bowman Mantle is, and most other mothers aren't either. So I just said to him, hey, in a nutshell, I think I would go with a 52 Tops Mantle for my money. Once again, trying to get the best quality, centering, eye appeal, color, all that kind of stuff. And he basically said... I reluctantly agree with you. It was yeah. a fun, productive discussion that even though I didn't like the answer I gave and I was very forthcoming with him, by the way, for the audience listening, full disclosure, I own both several 51 Bowman Mantles and 52 Tops Mantle. So I'm not trying to pump one up versus the other. It's really just a great, wonderful question. And I guess you could ask that about the 86 Clear Jordan, the 84 Star, although... To me, it's a little bit more clear cut. There, we'll say that well, another show. Let, what do you guys let's think? ask? Let's ask Ken. Let's see what Ken, Ken. I mean, ask you the question. You know, all else being equal, same amount of money. And this is a. It's a. It's an. It's a. It's an interesting topic. I'm. I'm more biased than you, Layton. I have a 51 Bowman. I don't have a 52 Tops. I'd love to have one. Sure. But I bought it back in like 07 when it was because it's his rookie card, I thought. And it was just more affordable. So I thought it was a better I thought it was just a, a better buy. Um, <laughs> that probably didn't turn out to be the case. But, Ken, I mean, you've been around a long time in this thing. What about you? All else being equal, are you putting your money into a 52 Tops Mickey Mantle or a 51 Bowman Mickey Mantle, which is is his one and only true rookie card? Oh, boy. I, I have a 52 Mantle. Uh, I don't have a 51 Bowman. Uh, I think that there has been a pretty big run up on the 52 mantle. And I think that there's probably more upside on the 51 Bowman. Uh, it is his rookie card. I think the better investment right now could possibly be that, that 51 Bowman. That's a, that's his rookie card just percentage wise. Uh, if you were to buy one today, uh, one, two, three years from now, percentage-wise, you might get a little bit better return on that on that Bowman card, uh, partially because it's more affordable and uh, that that gap will close a little bit. Um, I think because the, of the bit the the fifty-two tops mantle has had such a run-up in recent months that it's kind of. It's gotten away from the 51 Bowman. I think you're right, Ken. I think, you know, if we're just talking about like investing, which I don't love to just talk about that, but when you're talking <laughs> about 80 grand, like you can't get into a 52 tops Mickey Mantle for under $20,000, even no. if the thing's been driven over and if it's missing a corner. So 
you know, we, it isn't when you're talking about 20 grand, no matter what it is, that's pretty much investment discussion. So I, I'm I'm on the 51 Bowman side. Again, I'm probably biased. I own one, but I still I I I I, I would love I covet a 52 tops as well. So but I think there is room now for the 51 to catch up a little bit and look what happened to 86. You you were alluding to this late in 86 Fleer Michael Jordan versus 84 star Michael Jordan. The 84 star, I mean the 86 went berserk over the last couple of years it's leveled off a bit now and then the 84 star due to some extraordinary circumstances we'll call them had a huge run has had a huge run up and has closed the gap if not even surpassed it at the at the highest uh, grade point so um it, it's it is a great question Leighton it's a fun one where we had a few people in the chat have put a few comments in there as well so that's great one more thing I want I want to touch on that you brought up Leighton you're at the show you were you were talking about kind of the the response, the reaction to to your vintage inventory and your showcases at your booth. And there's a lot of people in the hobby right now who kind of came in in the last few years. They're a little disenchanted with modern cards, so they're looking back into vintage. And I think you experience some of those people coming by your booth and trying to maybe learn a little bit more. And I want to ask Ken the question: What are you seeing in your shop, Ken, in your shops in terms of are your customers who have traditionally been modern collectors, do you see them? Are they asking? Are they interested to go back and learn more about vintage in, in recent days and, and recent weeks and months? Well, I think I think there's a lot more people looking at it for sure. Um, there's certainly a, a huge amount of sellers uh, for ultra modern stuff. Certainly the stuff that you see that you saw uh, the biggest run-up in ultra-modern basketball in particular, then then work your way down from there. Um, those are the people that are really selling right now. Uh, you know, the market's struggling a little bit. And 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 how couldn't it with, with the run-up that they had? I mean, it really wasn't sustainable. Um, but, you know, the vintage stuff was, was a lot more you know, uh, stable. I mean, there was still stuff going up, of course, but that stability that was there, um, you know, the people that were always interested in it are, are more interested in it now because the, the slight dip that we've seen. And, uh, I think there's just far more sellers in the ultra modern stuff than there is buyers for sure. Yeah. Back to you for a sec, Leighton. Uh, Brendan Ryan brings up a, a great point here that I hadn't even thought of, but and I'm only recently aware of this fact. Like within the last year, did I maybe two years, did I even learn that there are two variants to the 52 tops mantle? And uh, I prefer the one that has the complete square around the logo. To me, that's a more complete design. And I don't know if that one is worth more or less than the other one. I know I think one's called the A, the B. But can you maybe just shed some light for myself and Ken and our, our audience as to uh, is is there a, a preference, generally speaking, like for the Gretzky Opeachy rookie, as an example, you've got the copies that have those two blue parallel lines on the back that some people think indicates a first run. I just call them blue lines or present. Um, but that's two variants, really. How does that how does how do these two variants impact the 52 tops Mickey Mantle market? 
Uh, to me personally and professionally so far, uh, not at all, other than making for an interesting discussion. No. Uh, and so um, one point I wanted to cover before we move on from the 52 Tops Mantle versus the 51 Bowman uh, Mantle uh, discussion is from someone who's running a company like Just Collect uh, that is cultivating and actively daily uh, going through fresh leads. You know, I always focus on supply and demand. So no one's going to argue the 51 Bowman Mantle is his rookie. No one's going to argue it's his first card. Uh, no one's going to argue it's, it's, a, it's not a great card. However, being on the front lines of getting these leads, I had several 51 Bowman Mantles in my case. I only had 152 Tops Mantle. Um, and in terms of the leads that we're having inbound to our company, I'm going to, you know, obviously I'd have to like crunch numbers and look at analytics. But I bet you for it's for every 10 to 20 51 Bowman Mantle leads we get, we probably only get one 52 Tops Mantle lead. And so when you factor that in with the supply and demand, meaning the demand is really high for the 52 Tops Mantle, I'm not suggesting there hasn't been a huge run-up in 52 Tops Mantles. There's been a huge run-up. However, I still just look at the top end of the market, and I think that the card still has room to grow. I, by the way, I don't own anything like that. I don't own any multi-million dollar 52 Tops Mantles. Um, but I do think that as those continue to go and it becomes this iconic card that wants to be owned by all facets of, you know, people, I guess, yeah. around the world, uh, I do think that um, maybe in the short term percentage wise, the one moment mantle might be better. But I think longer term, if you're looking at a, 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 a bigger horizon, uh, personally, my votes are the top mantle. Um, I did want to give a comment briefly on wax just because I was I did have the the. Um, the, the good fortune to be on the front lines of the show, there was retail wax everywhere. Yeah. So it's like if you were ever, you know, um, unsure as to where to buy retail wax other than Target, Walmart, etc., just go to any decent card show. Uh, it was everywhere. Um, and then as far as vintage wax, not as much, but with the market being a little bit softer, I thought personally there's a lot of wonderful opportunities to buy vintage wax as a collector, as an investor, as a dealer. Um, and the last thing is, because like I said, I could end up talking for hours. Um, super excited, uh, Jeremy um, and Ken. We acquired this collection now a little bit ago, um, but we finally uh, put up a blog on it on our website uh, at blog.justcollect.com. And it's a collection of over 800 Gaudis, uh, including 22 Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig's. You want to see this, the, the full video um, on that find. Uh, I personally went out to go see this family in Arizona. Um, it's quite enjoyable. Uh, and then to tie that into my last point about the card show, this is a little bit of tip uh, from what I saw that makes for interesting content at the show. And it really doesn't matter if it's like a huge collection or not. We started to put collections on display that we recently purchased, meaning we haven't broken them up yet. We don't even actually have them for sale. And we, we mark them and designate them as such in our cases. Um, and it makes for great conversation. Um, how'd you get it? Where was it from? Oh my God, I really want this or that. And so... Um, just thought that was kind of a fun thing to mention. All right, cool stuff, man. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on and sharing the your vintage update. Uh, I always enjoy it. And we're gonna we're gonna after you leave, we're gonna talk a little bit more about it. We have some really good comments come in, and I'll just leave you with this, uh, Leighton. Uh, we did have a comment here from a collector's dream who I think very accurately states that the '53 Tops Mantle is the prettiest of them all. I, I, I'm, I'm I'm in that camp as well. So. Thank you, and uh, we'll hopefully we'll see you next week. Absolutely, take care, gentlemen. Okay, take care, take care, Layton. All right, uh, we're gonna we're gonna go back here, Ken, to uh, 
a comment here that Brendan Ryan asked about franchises. I, I think the question is, are you, you know, you've got four stores. Have you ever thought about getting into the franchise business? Have, do you have a franchise? Are you a franchise? Uh, just speak to that for a minute. Oh boy. I, I don't have any franchises. I, I, I definitely question, uh, if, if this is a good business for doing franchises, you know, we're not selling pizzas, um, something that where you can buy the commodities from, from many different uh, sources. I think uh, with allocations and, and everything else, the way that they are, you know, franchises would be a very, very difficult business. Um, so, no, I'm not looking at franchises at this time. And should the, you know, the structure of how, how product is distributed uh, change, but with, with all of the uh, exclusives and stuff like that, I think it really limits what, what you can do. Because if you were to franchise, of course, you wanted, you would want your franchise to be you know, successful and everything else, but how could you get the more product of the, you know, the most desirable stuff you right now, you, you, you really can't. So if that distribution model were to change, then maybe, but I don't see that anytime soon. Yeah. I, I, I always thought it would be really difficult to, to do that, especially it's a, often a heavy cash business. And it's also a, a business where people come in and sell you cards and how would you ever have control over what is coming into the through the door and you know for the franchisor to get their piece of that so i as a as a you know if, if i'm a successful uh owner of a chain of lc of local card shops like yourself i don't think i would i don't think i would uh look to get into that business either i believe there are business i think we got coffee and cards have a franchise model and uh Jimmy's Kentucky Roadshow also, I believe, has a, a franchise model or they're all corporate owned. I'm not sure. But um, anyway, good question, Brendan. Something I don't think we've really ever talked about on the show before. Back to Kale McCarr. Grizzly Silver said that uh, uh, Carlson, being Eric Carlson of the San Jose Sharks, certainly looks like the Norris Trophy winner this year, which is a, a big resurgence for him. And Corey Carr, Corey, if you're still there, you got to know this is on our agenda already for tonight. But since you put it in the chat, I think this is something we should talk about right now because this is a it's a pretty good story. Um, I'll just put it out there, Ken. <laughs> what, okay, I have I have this sticker right here. I don't know if anybody is familiar with this logo right here for Slab Strong. Uh, Slab Strong is a friend of mine named Tim McInerney, and he has a company where they put. Uh, rubber bumpers around your graded slab to protect the slab case. And uh, he's called Slab Strong. Anyway, he put, and that, if you look at Ken's chest right now, it says the pastime logo on that orange shirt. The guy who oh, owns this I company change? tattooed Ken's logo on his back <laughs> on the show floor in Toronto about three weeks ago. Ken, what's the story behind Tim putting your logo <laughs> On his back. Well, permanent. This is a permanent tattoo. Oh boy. Um, geez, where sh where should I start and where should I end? Um, so we were we were on uh, Clubhouse, and which you invited me to, so it's all your fault. Um, 
we were on Clubhouse and 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 people were joking about uh, you know how much would would they have to pay you to get a PSA tramp stamp? And some guys were joking around about you know they said well one guy would say well you'd take a hundred thousand another guy said fifty thousand you know the other people said ah I'll do it for twenty five thousand and. You know, Tim and some other guys were on there and and uh, they spit out numbers and and then joking around, I had said, uh, well, you get my logo and I'll do this. And like, like almost instantly, Tim said, let's do it. I'm in. What did you, what did you offer? Uh, well, I'll leave that for Tim to say if he wants to disclose it. Um, I don't, I don't want to say that on. Well, give us the spirit. What, what, what did you offer to take him for a steak dinner? Did you have, what, what, what was the, give us the, the scope of it. At we'll least. be distributing, uh, slab strongs in Canada for, for quite some time. Okay. Okay. So you placed an order. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'm guessing that order had to be. Sorry, of of a certain uh, a certain magnitude, a certain quantum, in order for him to. Uh, so you basically said, sounds to me like you basically I'll order X amount of your product if you if you uh, if you put my logo on your back, something to that something effect. Like that. So I won't disclose now, but we'll leave that up to Tim if he wants to tell exactly exactly what that is. But in any case, uh, he said yes. And I thought, oh shit, I should have offered less. Um, but uh, he did it. Uh, I followed through. He followed through, and uh, he's got a logo on his back. I've got lots of slab strongs, and <laughs> uh, and uh, it'll be. A, it was a lot of fun. And uh, there's there's a Fan Expo here in Vancouver in February. So it looks like Tim's going to come out and uh, promote Slab Strong's in the booth, and and uh, we're going to have lots of fun in February too. I'm not, right. I don't mean a second tattoo, but uh, you know he's a man of his word, and and I am too. So it looks like uh, it should be a lot of fun going that's, forward. That's pretty funny. All right, let's go back to the comments here. Uh, I like this one from Giamaz says uh, the 52 tops mantle is double the size of the 51 Bowman. Does size matter? Great question. I don't think it really does in the, when, when the most valuable card of all time, or at least at one time, the Honus Wagner is a very small card, but good, good comment. Nonetheless, hey. uh, Cardi C did say, uh, go for the trick question, go for the highest grade 53. You can get prettier than the 51, but oh, it was a trick question. Yes. And uh, I don't know if I would do that, but I'd certainly want to have that card as well. As I said earlier, I definitely agree with that. Uh, Collector's Dream did say that uh, they're worth the same. Both versions of the 52 Tops Mantle are worth the same. And I think that's been the case, but I don't know that it's going to continue to be the case. Uh, Dead Grateful says that I look like Brian Eno. I'm going to have to uh, remind myself what Brian Eno looks like and take a look at that. Uh, Dave Snyder wanted us to talk about... Uh, code news but that's just not what we talk about on this show so sorry dave uh, but you like the 62 mantle great stuff brendan ryan says looks like the lid stores will run unopposed uh in terms of i guess feud being a, a distribution channel for 
Fanatics, who now has, uh, you know, major licenses in sports cards. And Dave Snyder did not enjoy the tattoo talk, so he left the chat. All right, Dave, hopefully we'll see you again another time. Ken, you have, you know, we talked a bit earlier about, you know, if you're going to get a good autograph guest into your shop from a local professional sports franchise, it's good to have um, a reputation and a really having putting your stamp on the community. And something that you've done, I think this is amazing, actually. And I don't know if anyone else has done this in the industry in North America. You got to think somebody has, but you actually have or you sponsor and maybe you can clarify this for me, but you sponsor, you have a radio show that is on the like the major sports radio network across Canada. And uh, so talk a bit about that. What was the impetus for getting behind this? Is it your brainchild or was it was it the, the, the radio stations and they found you as a sponsor? How does it work? And just talk about the radio show. Well, it, it was uh, it was really how I ended up meeting uh, Tom Manick, who he's the he started the first uh, all sports radio program, 1410, the team. Uh, with two other partners, uh, Paul Carson, which unfortunately isn't with us, uh, which he also was on uh, Sports Page with Don Taylor. If you're in the Vancouver market, um, you might know that. But in any case, the three of them, uh, Don, uh, Tom Manick, uh, David Stadnick, and... Uh, Paul Carson started uh, Team 1040 on a fishing trip. I had just randomly had been on the same trip as uh, David Stadnick, one of the founders of the radio station. Uh, and we became good friends. Uh, we still are good friends. And that was uh, almost a decade ago now. But uh, I had met uh, Tom Maynick through that connection. And he still had a, a regular radio uh, show with the Team 1040. They got bought out by TSN. So then it was TSN 1040. And TSN is Canada's ESPN for anybody who uh, may be south of the border, which 85% of our audience is. So please continue. Yeah. So, so I started doing uh, regular segments on the program, uh, reporting on sports collectibles and things of that nature. And then, uh, you know, discussions started. Well, geez, maybe we should do a whole program on it uh, and whatnot. And, well, I guess not whatnot, because that's a totally different program nowadays. Um, but, uh, you know, then TSN, they, they stopped that program. So we're on BNN Bloomberg now, which is a financial radio station. And with all of the talk of, you know, alternative assets and people investing in from art to trading cards and everything else, the program fit in uh, quite nicely there. So we're broadcast on uh, 12 or 13 radio stations across um, the country through uh, the sport market with Tom Manick and uh, Pastime Radio, the collectible show. So we bring on different guests from different segments of, uh, you know, the collectible industry. And, and we've been doing that for a few years now. All right. And how is it going? Is it Has it uh, brought people into the shops, into the pastime shops? 
Yeah, you know what? We we find that we've got a lot more uh, outreach online, like people sending me emails like, hey, what's this worth? Hey, I've got this collectible or this, this uh, collection that I'm looking to sell. Uh, we definitely do get uh, people into the shops. I hear a lot more about it uh, when I attend card shows and um, different events because when you have four stores, I mean, you can't be at four places at once. So when people come in and they say, hey, I heard about you here or I heard about you there, I'm, I, I'm not the one that's there to, to, to get that conversation. They may have heard my voice, but, you know, I, I don't work in the retail shops all that much anymore just because I'm spread out a little bit too thin. All right. But uh, so it sounds like it, it's, it's, it's something that's worthwhile. And uh, I, I just think it's great that it's giving sports collectibles a presence on the, on the airwaves as people are driving around. And, you know, you've been uh, kind enough to invite me on as a guest a couple of times now, two or two or three, two or three times. And um, I've always enjoyed chatting with Tom uh, when he's had me on. So thank you for that. And I look forward to doing some more of that. Uh, let's talk about this comment. This came up a few minutes ago from Grizzly Silver. It's a kind of a cool question. He says, it sounds like a business. I think we're talking about card shops. It sounds like a business one has to do for years to get really good at and build enough cards just to start, just start a store itself, or of course, just buy an existing store. It's all the knowledge that is so valuable. And that's it. That's a great point. Like it's one thing to, you can open up a store. A lot of people have done it over the past few years, open up a shop. If you have a, you know, you've got a lot of hobby experience. That's great. Now you got to find the inventory or you're going to just start very bare and hope to buy it as it comes or attend card shows and just buy a ton of inventory to put in your in your showcases. Make sure you have distribution from the manufacturers. The, the distributors can be difficult and challenging in recent months, years, actually. Uh, but the other way to get into the card shop business is to go buy an existing store. But then you're you know, you need some sort of transition plan in order to maintain the knowledge of the person who knows that market, that customer base, and maybe even transition or transfer a lot of the, 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 the technical knowledge over to the new owner. You know, if you were to ever go sell your shops, Ken, like how do you think you would? I, I've, talked to a, I've talked to one guy uh, over the past several years about buying his shop. And uh, to me, the value is in the inventory, to be honest. That's where I see the value. I don't see there being much, much other value in a card shop. I mean, the cus the location, the customer base, but how do you respond to, to that comment that I just made? Well, I, I don't think that uh, the card business is different than any other business. You can buy the most valuable business in the world. You could buy Twitter. And if you don't know how to run it, uh, if you don't have the knowledge, how the technical wherewithal, how to run it, um, it's 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 simply not going to work. You you have to have to get the knowledge. Uh, you know, this is the type of business that you can't really go to to school um, for. And and you know, if you were to buy a card store. Or something like that. If it was your only, if it was the one and only card store that you were going to have, maybe you would find the the inventory the most valuable thing. But 
if it wasn't your first cars horse, say it was your your second or third, or for me, your fourth. So uh, I made an acquisition for a store in Metro Town, and as part of that acquisition, the the I wouldn't I wouldn't acquire the assets of that company without the agreement of those people staying for an additional two years. So for me, the most valuable thing that that card store had was not inventory. It was people. Um, because I knew I couldn't be in two places at once. So that was the difference for me. It was the, the, the people is what made me buy that store, not the inventory. Great, great insight. That's why that's why I put it out there. Because what do I know? I'm just an, I'm just a, a retired accountant at this point. All right, let's keep on moving through here. Want to say hello to Peeps. Good to see you. Collectors Dreams has visited a brand new beautiful card shop. Posted the video today or yesterday. Check out Collectors Dream on YouTube. I'm sure that's where it would be. And uh, that's you know, a lot of the new shops that are opening up are very nice they do not fit into that stereotypical card shop environment that i remember going into in the 80s 90s and 2000s and uh i think like does that make sense to you has has the card shop experience do do customers expect more out of a card shop now than they did 20 years ago and and like have you are you more that old school shop because i've never i don't know if i've ever been to one of your shops i think i was one time but are yours more like old school or are they more new school? Uh, unfortunately, one of my shops has turned into almost like an old school shop where, where we've done a lot of our fulfillment from our, for our website sales. And there's just, because we get so many pallets of stuff in there, it's just turned into you know, uh, more of a warehouse and, and shipping and dis distribution for the other location. So there is, uh, it's not, uh, it's not dirty, but there's a lot of stuff in there in the, in the one location. However, the other three locations that we have are incredibly well merchandised. They're beautiful. Uh, they're in major shopping centers in the greater Vancouver area. And, uh, you know, very proud of, a, you know, if someone was to, to walk into one of them and, and have a good shopping experience. Whereas, you know, the fourth one uh, is basically turned into a warehouse yeah. uh, in time. Well, we know we've outgrown that uh, space. It's sort of where I started in Langley just shy of 30 years ago. So with 30 years of growth and uh, not really expanding into a much larger space, um, you know, three out of four ain't bad. Yeah. No, it ain't. It's not bad. I agree. I agree. Uh, and especially for 30 years in business, I mean, these just the nature of a card shop, you're going to have a lot of stuff kind of, you're going to need storage and stuff piled up all over the place, depending on, you know, your square footage and that. Uh, uh Peep says Canadian card school has a nice ring to it. Colin Murray, good to see you. What's going on? And uh, so Jake's toe has a couple of comments here. I think these are really, uh, really great comments. I said, he says a 21 year old kid just bought one of the two stores in our city. The store had been around since the late eighties. Somehow it stayed open over the years with old school ways, but this new kid owner has 
new people in and card shows brought in new people and card shows to town goes on to say he has he's been involved in social media and online presence that the old owner never really used so it sounds to me like this shop and wherever jake's toe is has is going to get a revamp and a refresh and uh probably rise up from what it was and really maybe exploit the potential of that location that the old owner maybe just couldn't do or wasn't you know tech savvy and that kind of thing so i think i think we're going to see some of that uh happening as a lot of those card shop owners that have been around since the 80s and and even the early 90s and there also are still lots of them but they're going to come up to retirement age pretty soon they're going to have to transition and maybe we'll see makeovers of those shops if that's just the way things go. Um, tough to know for sure. Peep says the not so new warehouse is Com C. No, Com C being a consignment seller for for people. And Michael Ham just popped in. What's going on, Mister Ham? Great to see you, as always. All right. So Ken, let's talk about kind of the state of the hobby, where it's at right now, and like, what is your advice to? To anybody in the hobby, whether it's a card shop owner, a collector, an investor, like considering card values, you know, 2019, they're here. 20 Q1 2021, they're way up here. And now they're about here. And a lot of people withstood this cycle. What do you say to people who maybe are skeptical about the hobby? Oh boy, I guess I guess each category I would uh, give a little bit of different piece of advice to. I guess if you're if you're a shop owner, uh, become the become that community hub, uh, be that trade night, be that card show in the shop, be that place that that your local collectors want to gather. Right uh, when people gather, you know they you know, they socialize, they, you know, be that place um, where people go just, just to have a good time and uh, everything else will follow. Uh, investor wise, I think, uh, you know, I think if you're looking to make acquisitions, you maybe want to make those in the first quarter of 2023. I don't think I'd run out and buy a bunch of stuff right now. I certainly wouldn't be a, you know, a major seller because I think, you know, we're, we're reaching capitulation where, where there's not going to be much more of a bottom, but uh, I think there'll be a lot of really, really great buying opportunities, probably late first quarter, second quarter of next year. If you're a collector, just just keep buying what you like. You know, if if it goes up, great. If it doesn't, you know, go up right away, uh, that's okay too. Because you you bought something that you enjoy. This is a, this hobby is a lot about entertainment, not just uh, you know the investment side of it. Some people do it strictly for investment, and that's totally different. If you do it as a passion, as a hobby. As, as a way to connect with a, another person in your family, you know, entertainment, just, just continue to buy what you're like and stay within your means. And, uh, you know, for the most part, 
over the course of time, just about everything goes up. Uh, it's not quite like real estate, but, uh, you know, they, they have a lot of similarities like that. They've got highs and lows. Um, you know, just just take your time with it and enjoy it. Yeah, that's I think that's good advice right there on the end. Take your time, enjoy, collect what you like, all that sort of thing. And as far as, you know, the easy money that we saw in the hobby back in 2021, you know, that might not be there anymore. Any comments on that? That is not there. That that's gone. The 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 flippers, the guys that were buying from Walmart and selling at two or three X or five, whatever whatever the number was uh, back then, that's over. Um, you know, the market is still incredibly strong. You know, we have without getting into exact numbers, um, you know, margins aren't where they were. You're not buying it for a hundred dollars and selling it for a thousand or buying it for a hundred and selling it for 500. But, you know, today, uh, there's likely more money still being spent in the hobby as a whole. Um, even though that you, you see numbers on particular items, uh, not selling for quite as much. Um, there's a lot of people buying cards. And I think those Facebook groups of, you know, retail products and stuff like that have, have come down greatly. Um, but I think, I think most trading card stores are, are probably still pretty healthy if they have reasonable expectations. And reasonable and, and inventory, which is a challenge for some, uh, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, the, the, that easy money is gone. Well, oh, Dave Snyder's back says, thank God it's gone. So he didn't, he didn't like those times. Um, you know, you have to be more savvy now if you are in this to make money. If you are what we call a flipper and you're someone who, you know, does the card show circuit, buys cards to flip. And that's a great service that they provide because they're moving cards from Florida to California to Chicago to, you know, Philadelphia, down to Dallas, up to Toronto. I mean, it's these people move cards around and that, is, again, I think it's a great service they provide, but it's harder for them to afford to travel, to pay for their show. Uh, show fees, travel, hotels, all these sorts of things when they can't turn 100 into 500 in one week like people were doing left, right, and center a year, year and a half ago. But there is still money to be made if that is your angle in the hobby. I do agree with that. There is still money to be made. I think there's I think there's still money to be made, absolutely. The Like, like you said, the, the easy money, the easy money is over. It's like buying dot-com stocks in 1999. Uh, it didn't matter if you bought pets.com or Amazon or, you know, what it was. When everything is going up, you know, everybody thinks they're a genius and everybody piles in and, and the amount of money that goes into it, maybe I should use crypto as a more uh, recent uh, comparison, but, you know, it's like a snowball going down the hill. It just everything going up. It didn't matter if a product was good, had or good content. It, it didn't matter. Things that two years earlier that people thought were less than a desirable product, the new one comes out and it's 30, 40, 50% higher. It's just, 
it didn't make any sense. It was, it, there's no way it was sustainable. Um, you know, and, and a lot of people that, that uh, hadn't seen the, the rise and fall in, in, in previous markets, you know, they kind of, they got hurt a little bit. Um, but sometimes what goes up must go down. When it goes up way too much in such a short period of time, you're probably better off selling than buying. Um, when you see an, a, a gradual um, escalation in price, which we did see in the card market from like 2015 to probably 2019, the market was quite strong and was, you know, we were adding collectors and strength year over year. And then all of a sudden 2020 hit and there was so much money being pumped into the economy. And, and it was, it was like the perfect storm, you know, people could watch card breaks. It was something that people could do at home. Um, you know, no one was traveling. You couldn't go out to a restaurant and people still wanted entertainment and, and cards was something that could still entertain. So there was just such a massive rise in such a short period of time that wasn't sustainable. Yeah, no, agree with that for sure. And we, it's obviously proven to be the case. Uh, Travis Mater, good to see you. Welcome to the show and thank you very much. Uh, okay, let's, uh, Dave Snyder says, I don't have to carry a gun to Walmart anymore. No, that's uh, those days are, are behind us at least for now. Depends on what state. Depends on where you are. Peeps has this question for both of us is, do we anticipate any dropping of brands? For example, Allure, which is a upper deck hockey brand, or is it as simple as just very long delays and releases? Um, I mean, it, it, it's definitely the latter. They're not going to drop products that they built uh, and printed or that they built and have been waiting to be printed. I don't think they're going to drop anything. I, I'm, I'm almost certain that anything that has been planned will come out, but maybe not. I mean, maybe not. I think everything's coming. What about you, Ken? You might have some insight. Is Upper Deck going to, or Tops and Panini for that matter, are they going to drop any products from their release schedule because of delays? Um. Well, last yes, year... Start they, with they, yes, start, sorry, Ken. Start with yes or no. Yes or no. Any product going to be dropped, in your opinion? Well, there was some that was dropped, but I don't think that'll be the case going forward. Like in like in 2022, a product that, that was previously ice, announced was ice dropped? And, ice and Trilogy were, were dropped for 2021. Okay. Um, and I think that had to do with, uh, you know, just supply chain issues. The Trilogy rookies for 21-22 were inserted into the extended brand rather than being its own standalone, which it normally is. And I would imagine that they will go back to their uh, standalone brand, but they really have a lot of catching up to do. You know, I, you know, January, we're looking at 2021 cup, right? So there, there was just those two brands that were dropped. Uh, I don't think we're going to see a lot of that going forward. Uh, it takes so long for them to do planning and stuff for, for a brand uh, that all of the assets that they need, like the autographs and the memorabilia and stuff like that, that, yeah, I don't see them really dropping anything going forward. 
you know, maybe yeah. they'll amalgamate uh, a brand or two, but yeah, I don't think they'll drop anything. All right. Travis has this question. If you had $5,000 to spend on a card or cards, what would you buy? One or two big high end or a bunch of smaller things and who? I think it's a better question really for the chat than for you and me, Ken. But um, I- I'm going to say that uh, it wouldn't be one or two. I- it's so hard to answer this question, actually, because I'm regularly buying cards and uh, five grand doesn't buy you a ton anymore. You can you can get one really nice card or one pretty nice card for about that. Or you can go and buy yourself 10 $500 cards or $5,100 cards. I'm somewhere probably in between there. But um, t- really... You know, if all you had was five grand to spend in, say, a year, what are you buying? That's the way I'd word the question. Um, and then who? I'm not going to answer the who because I could just collect too many different things. But what about you, Ken? Is there is there one or two players outside of your local favorites that you would kind of look to buy if you only had five grand, if you had five grand to spend over the next few months or year? I would say a vintage rookie card. Perfect. There you go, Travis. Stale Prod says, get a job to make money. Cards is a hobby. Collect what you like. I mean, it's a hobby for some people and, and, and many people, but it's also uh, it's also a place where uh, an industry, the hobby isn't, a, it, it, the hobby encompasses the industry of the hobby. And if you don't, you know, you have to, you have to really recognize that because otherwise you're going to just not be happy with what you're seeing. And if you can accept the, the fact that the hobby is a place where people are looking to make money, uh, you might just be a little bit more comfortable with things, even though you may not like it as much. Well, you got to um, buy it from someone. You got to buy it from someone. Exactly. <laughs> Grizzly says, what percentage of sales are through eBay? And is that the trend moving forward? I like going into a sports card store and actually seeing the cards in person. I guess I'm just old school. Well, for, for Ken tonight, we're going to take this question, Grizzly, but we're just going to change it a bit. And we're going to say, Ken... If you're willing to divulge, what percent of your sales are through your four point of sale systems in your stores versus your online system? And, and I guess just to appease Grizzly, do you sell on eBay as well? I haven't sold a trading card or anything on eBay in, geez, since probably 2014, 2015. And what percent of your sales are online versus through your point of sale? Percentage wise, we're you know, we maybe we do depending on the month and whatnot, a ballpark it at uh 15 20 percent is online, yeah, pretty nice, pretty nice. All right, well, thank, thank you for that. Uh, Bob's big boy says the market is getting more practical. We have three tables at the Chicago Sports Spectacular which is a big card show in Chicago and only had two sales over $1,000. Most sales were 25 to $300 range, strong market, but fewer big cards were moving. See, this is exactly what I noticed at the Toronto Expo three weeks ago. It was the busiest show ever in Toronto. I think Friday broke records for, for single day attendance in that show's 30 year history, 30 something year, whatever it is. And the, there were, Tons of people, tons of buying, selling, trading, but the show was packed. Tons of deals going on. Every dealer I talked to, except for maybe a couple who have old overpriced inventory, had a great show. So 
it's almost nice to hear that that's what was ha- what Bob's big boy experience in Chicago. Ken, you were set up at the Expo in Toronto just like I was. You had a way bigger setup than I did. You had a whole island. I don't know how many booths that consisted of. Probably eight where I had one. But how was the show from your perspective? The show was really strong. Um, and I think if you had your stuff priced uh, currently, right, Uh you know, prior to the show, we had to reprice a lot of our stuff. And, you know, there was a couple of things that, that you know, had gone up. But most stuff had softened a little bit. And we, we priced it at what current comps were. And uh, it was an incredibly successful show. Um, I was really happy with the, you know, the turnaround, the, the sales, everything else. And yeah. uh, I don't, I really don't know many people that were, you know, current on their pricing. You know, if you had pricing that was six months or a year old, you probably didn't do very well. You know, if you were, if you went to the show a year ago and your pricing was six months old, you probably did very, very well. But, uh, you know, you have to, you have to move with the times. And it's you, you make a great point in terms of pricing your inventory because with the way the market has moved and and with the hobbies and by the hobby, really, I mean people who are out there buying, selling, and trading at card shows with with the habit of looking at the most recent comps on sales on eBay and 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 you know checking card ladder, market movers, those sorts of things, people are so they're so anchored to these recent comps in order to decide what to pay. As a seller, if you want to sell cards you know, lots of cards, you need to be priced accordingly and be current with your pricing and, and know what's been going on in the market, especially on cards that trade regularly. Otherwise, you're kind of just going to be ignored at, at your booth if your prices are still what they were, you know, six plus months ago or even even less than that. So, yeah, I mean, myself, it was very important to price my stuff like the week leading up to the show. Otherwise, you might have been, you might have been, you know, out of date with your pricing. And I think that probably contributed to my, me having a, a great show overall. So it sounds like you did something very similar. Uh, back to the question, what you do with 5K. Matt Pime opined that with 5,000, I'd buy 10 really strong vintage Hall of Famers in PSA 6 condition and higher, most liquid. I think that's a pretty good strategy, you know, 10. And I think you have to be flexible if you're going into the into that kind of um that going into the the arena with that goal, you have to be able to say, well, I might only end up buying eight of them, or maybe I'll be able to squeeze out 12 because, you know, my average price might be higher than I like. Uh, Dave Snyder says Toronto was packed, lots of movement. 20 of us came up from Buffalo, which I got to say, you know, as a, as a Canadian who's been setting up at that show for 17 years now, it's, I love when I hear that 20 of us came up from Buffalo from the U S I mean, that's, there were so many Americans at this show and maybe it's because I got to meet or or interact with some of these 20 that traveled up with Dave. Uh, Peeps wants to know, Ken, is Pastime mobile app part of your business or your future? Or is it just a website? Uh, we're, we're just a website. Um, we, we don't have a mobile app. We do, we do uh, SMS uh, messaging. Um, we do lots of email marketing stuff like that, but we, we don't currently have a, a mobile app. Yeah. 
And I mean, I don't think you necessarily need one if you are, you know, you're you're really four stores. You're not like there was talk earlier in the chat about Com C not having an app yet. I do believe it's. I mean, they've been talking for a couple of years that it's coming. It's coming. Um, but I will say I do disagree with a comment that came up earlier in the chat that it's hard to navigate. I've been using Com C since 2013, and I just go to their website on my phone. I have an iPhone. And it works really well. I don't have any problems uh, from a from a, a customer or a seller perspective in in there. But I, that's just me. And I guess I guess I'm used to it. Uh, Dave Snyder, big question in all caps. Ken, he says, how do you move your junk base or dead stale stock? And this is a great question. That I think this is a question that plagues a lot of people. You know, you can open up a case of cards. You know, you might end up with, I don't know how many cards come out of a case anymore. Say there's 500 cards come out of them and five or 10 of them are really like showcase worthy. What do you do with the rest of them? I'll let you answer this question, Ken, though. What do you do with your dead stale, dead stale stock or junk base cards? Well, you price them accordingly. Really? Um, we, we, we take like a 660 count box, which probably really only holds five to 600 cards. We throw a Jersey or autograph card on top. Uh, and we sell it for 1999 in one of the shopping centers. I mean, for, in most cases, that's like the price of a five card pack nowadays. Um, you know, do we go through and take out all the big stars? Probably not. You know, if there's base cards that are five or $10, yeah, those will probably take out, but you know, you can't store everything. And, and if you want to sort it and be the, the Burbank of the worlds and, and stuff like that, you have to realize that there's such a massive amount um, invested in labor that when he charges a dollar a card for a base card, people think, well, that's a 10 cent card. Well, he's probably got 40 cents in labor into the thing, right? So that's that's just not for us. So we 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 bundle it up and sell it off accordingly. Yeah. You know what uh Mike at Eastridge does is he puts together like four row boxes and just stuffs them with cards and I think sells them for like 20 bucks out of the shop. And he says that they're excellent sellers. I've also, you know, I'm aware of some vending machine uh businesses who will buy your cards in bulk that way to put in vending machines in various sports complexes across the city or whatever it is. So there are some ways to get rid of your, what is pretty much worthless. So my favorite, and I don't, I don't live in a neighborhood with where I get 200 kids at Halloween, but if I get 30 kids at Halloween for 15 years now or so, I take 10 base cards, put them in a team bag and give every kid two or three packs. And I even say, hey, do you want one for your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister? And some kids I'll give more to just because, hey, I'm trying to grow the hobby. It's, you know, the key is to make sure you're giving them a chocolate bar or some candy as well. But I always throw in packs of cards on yeah, Halloween. Yeah, yeah, you got to make sure you give the candy too, or you'll be cleaning some stuff up off the side of the house. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, back on the com C thing, Jake Stowe says on my phone, it's an Android. I have to keep zooming in and out and move the screen around it. I kind of have to do that too on my iPhone, but I, I'll tell you, Jake, uh, I'm pretty good at with, my, you know, with ma ma 
navigating the, the, the iPhones now after having one for so long. Um, in any event, you know, it just, for me, it's not a problem. I, I quite enjoy the ComC website on yeah. my, my iPhone using the Safari uh, web browser. Dave Snyder wants to get us some of your old cards there says sorting is good for therapy and isn't that isn't that the truth right there you know you open up a box of cards you sort them out it's it's uh it's it's zen like uh to a degree and i think that's something that only sports card collectors could really identify with dave snyder says i buy them up and use them for ptsd groups i mean yeah donating to hospitals there's lots of schools maybe there's lots of ways that you can uh move the your 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 dead inventory your your kind of cards that don't have any value on a secondary market. All right, Ken, I wanted to, uh, let's switch it up a little bit. We're going to talk about sales still because you have, I hope you have them ready, some statistics really, because again, you know, the narrative that the hobby, I've heard people say the hobby is dead, which is ridiculous. I think the hobby is actually right now, probably the strongest it's ever been. And I said last night, I know some people think I'm crazy for saying that, but I think it's because we're at a point now where if you came in, if you came in during the time when the hobby was going crazy and you're still here, that says a lot because you probably are, your card values are down from when you came in. So, but we had so many people come in that a lot of them are going to stay. A lot of them have stayed. And those that have stayed represent the fact that the hobby has more people now than it did in 2019. And so for everyone who came in has, has been able to withstand the, 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 the very quick rise and then the very quick decline in values, it says something that a lot of those people people have stuck around and they're now going to likely a lot of them be here for the long term. So I think because of that um, and the fact that what we've now seen with our own eyes and even one of the people in the chat saw in Chicago this weekend and even Leighton said that the show was busy in Philadelphia, that we're in a pretty good place right now. We're almost at a place, we're almost at a reset where it's like moving forward it can only it can only get better from here. I'm not saying values won't come down anymore in the in the coming months. I'm saying the activity, the interest in the hobby is is extremely strong right now. It may not be as strong as it was in Q1 of 2021 and Q2, but I think it's because it's less volatile now. It's it's just a safer place to be, and I think it's very very strong right now. And moving forward, I think it's going to continue to be. We'll see what the fanatics impact has. All that said, Ken, you have some statistics for us. Again, you have four stores and you have some month over month sales statistics being basically November, 2022 compared to November, 2021. And you have four stores. You're not going to tell us the dollar value of your revenue, but you have some percentage changes. I think what I asked you to prepare was your November, 2022 over November, 2021 in the aggregate for all four stores and online and and also splitting them out i see you're probably just bringing it up because you have i'm doing it i'm doing it as we I'm, as we speak because i've got I a good point of sale system your point of sale system will provide that data and then i also want to know kind of maybe not year to date because there's some you know where we're still pandemic wise but let's even go from like july 1 of this year to november 30th compared to july 1 to november 30th of 2021 how have sales changed from a on a percentage basis? Are you uh, are you ready to uh, share some of that? Sure. Um, overall, we have uh, you know in store sales. Well, how about we just how about we just do overall? Sounds good. 
so so November uh, 2022 uh, compared to 2021, we've got a, an increase of 31%. I mean, listen, you gave me a preview of this yesterday or whenever I chatted with you. And like, how is the hobby dead in November of 2022? If people are saying that when... Ken has four stores. Now we're talking, we're obviously talking about a small geographic, it's a big geographical area. I don't know what the population is of the greater Vancouver area, but it's got to be in that three to $5 million, sorry, three to 5 million people range, maybe more. Uh, do you know the population of, of the, the base? Yeah, the I, think, I think, I think we're, we're in the five, 5 million range. So that 5 million sense. people, that, that's a good population. It's probably about a sixth of all of Canada right there. So, you know, when I'm hearing a 31% increase month over month, so November 2022 over November 2021, uh, that's pretty good. That That's telling me that the hobby is active, at least in your area, in your stores. It must be representative of a greater area. You know, it's not just happening in, in, in your stores in Vancouver. No, I don't think so. I think it's, it, I think people that, uh, you know, not just relying on the on the hottest thing no we we diversified like like most long-term card shops we do magic pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh, trading cards we have a huge selection of memorabilia and jerseys so we 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 have seen definitely uh an increase in in apparel and, and autograph memorabilia um with people actually being able to come in the shop. So when we were closed down, uh, those types of things kind of dropped off. Um, or when people weren't as comfortable going out. Can you, um, can you, but can you, can you speak to sports cards versus the other categories? Do you have that breakdown? Because I'd hate to mislead anybody and say you're up 31%, but it's because of, apparel and magic the gathering because i don't you know this is sports cards. well the old, the old numbers so for trading cards the old the old numbers would have included those numbers as well um you know trading cards is definitely the vast majority of it um so i you know i would think that uh, it's still fairly close maybe it's trading cards 25 percent um so we're not talking like cards are down 10% and apparel's up 50% or something like that. It's still it's still led by by the trading cards and by the sports cards. Correct. And what about if we were to do a longer range of time besides simply two Novembers? Um, if you, can you pull up the data the 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 year over year, say July 1 through November 30th? I'm kind of looking at the second half of the year even though we are missing December. And while you're pulling that up, I want to just uh, bring up Lucky K makes a good a good point here. Kind of wondering, does it have to do with the wax, which is un if anyone's watching doesn't know what we mean by wax. It's unopened sports card product. It's just called wax. Um, but does it have to do with wax increasing in value and price? But my thought, Lucky K, is that the prices were already up in a year ago in November of twenty twenty one. Prices. So Prices are likely down. Well, not likely. Prices are down. So, so even though we we do have uh, an increase in in 
gross sales, you know, the margins are down on those sales. So it's not like we're, we're because the sales are up, we're making more money. We're probably making a little less money, but there's still means that there's more money being spent in the hobby. If, if that makes sense. It does. And lucky, lucky asks another really important question in the context of this is in November, 2021, were any of your four stores closed or were they all open by then? Boy, when did I close? So I did. So in British Columbia, our stores were never mandated to close. I did close them voluntarily. Uh, I'm trying to think. I probably, so March, April. I'm probably, I don't remember exactly when I closed them, but it probably would have been April. We're more interested when you reopened them. I think uh, probably fall. I think I was closed three to four months, but online sales in 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 twenty twenty one were, or twenty twenty, pardon me, were were crazy. It was, it's it's not a it's not a metric that can really be used for for any kind of judge of anything else. Just it was so crazy for that short period of time that. You can't really base any data off it that's reasonable, like for for trends and whatnot. Sure. It's that part you have to remove. So, what, do you have the data up now on the uh, July one to November thirtieth compared to previous year? Uh, up twenty six percent. Up twenty six percent in the last five months over five months before. Now we I we have to recognize that there are some differences in twenty twenty one versus twenty twenty two. But we've already talked about yeah, and and a, and a unique thing with this is in getting back to where people were were not as comfortable going out. Our online sales during that same time period were down eight percent. So it was people getting back out and going shopping again in person right yeah i think that's a good sign i think this is sort of the data that we we as a hobby and again i'm going to define what i mean by that is scrolling through facebook instagram twitter youtube and hearing all the talking heads including myself talking about what we are seeing and a lot of what we are seeing is what we're seeing on social media which is not the whole hobby and I don't think that a lot of, of social media uh, accounts and influencers are getting data like this from a chain of card shops, uh, four doors, and uh, like looking at these numbers. And these numbers are very encouraging to me, Ken. This is kind of looking under the hood. And I thank you for sharing that data with us. And I, you know, you're not giving us the hard numbers. And of course you wouldn't. That is your business. But those percentages, um, they're telling. I mean, it just tells me that the hobby is healthy. The hobby is very healthy right now. And it's healthier than it was a year ago. And I think just the, the you know, as prices and values come down on singles and, and high-end stuff, you know, you have the le- less opportunity for that negative volatility. And so that, to me, is a, is a healthier place to be, of course. So interesting, interested to hear from anyone in the chat that, has any comments on this? You know, does it, what does it tell you, if anything? 
And what does it tell you, Ken? What does it tell you about the, just to, let's get your perspective on the, the health of the hobby. Well, well, I think one of the main things that people love about the hobby is the social interaction that, that you get. Um, and that's one of the reasons with the online, uh, you know, breaking and stuff like that. There is a community there. Uh, you know, you've got the, the chat rooms and, and people that sort of make their internet friends and stuff like that. But you don't have that in-person experience. And I think most people that have, you know, a, a physical brick and mortar shop are seeing uh, great trends uh, in their shops. Uh, collector wise uh, that want to get out and have that that social interaction and, you know, as much as you, you want to believe that you can find some of that stuff online, maybe there's a little bit of it there, but it's still not the same as getting out to your local shop and having a trade night or opening a box of cards next to somebody buying something similar and, and, and sharing it. Not even, it might not even be your friend, but you might make a new one. Um, it's that, that connection, that, that mutual interest, um, that you can find. It's like, it's like going out to Monday night football and you can, you can sit and chat with the guy sitting at the bar next to you about, about, about the game. You've got that, that, uh, commonality. Yeah. You got that mutual connection that, 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 that's an easy conversation starter and, you know, in this day and age, you don't, you know, there's not a lot of that around, you know, it's certainly not as much as a long time ago, I don't think. So, um, you know, most of the shops, I think, are, are, are healthy and doing well. And and uh, I think going forward, it's going to be a little bit more work, um, you know, doing more events and, and separating yourself a little bit more from the people that just like, here's a box with a price on it. Do you want to, you know, you gotta, you gotta offer a little bit more, I think. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, Frank makes a great comment says it shows that there is stability in the hobby and followed up by uh Needham Needham's comment, which I think is completely wrong says you want up to the minute data, uh, search for PSA 10 ending soonest on eBay and watches nobody buys any cards. And the reason why I think this is just a not a very good comment is because, first of all, if they're at auction starting at 99 cents, like most auctions should be, uh, they are they are selling unless they're cards that nobody absolutely nobody cares about. And the other thing is that if they're not auctions, then they're likely overpriced buy it nows. People who are not selling the car who are, have uh, unreasonable expectations on the cards that they are selling. So um, if that is, if this is your way of gauging the health of the hobby, um, I would recommend that you find a better way to do it. Cause that makes no sense to me at all. No, if anyone wants to put up PSA tens at 99 cents, save your eBay fees and I'll take them all. Yeah. I mean that, and the way this comment ends is, which is uh watches, nobody buys any cards. I mean, you're you are way out to lunch. Need him, need him, got him, got him, and uh, smarten up a bit because that just that that's that's just a, that makes no sense to me. Um, okay, 
Ken, with that, uh, let's let's start to wrap this up, and um, let's just let's end let's end with this question here. You talked a bit about what you see maybe coming next year uh, in 2023. You kind of said that you you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't be buying a ton of stuff or whatever it was you said. But what is your prediction for the hobby for 2023 or predictions uh, that that you're comfortable making? It doesn't have to be where the you know where the index of the market's going to be. Prices coming down 20 percent on you know, on vintage or that kind of comment, but what do you, you know, what do you see next year from your perspective as a guy who's been in the hobby his whole life, owns four stores and sets up at card shows, the national, the, the expo, and uh, really you're in tune with the scene. So let's hear your, your thoughts on, on 2023. Well, I think, I think we're still going to have um, some volatility in, in the cards that got run up probably higher than they should have been. You know, we'll still see a little volatility there. Uh, As for the number of collectors, I think the number of collectors is, is still growing. I think the number of collectors is still greater than it was in uh, 2021. I think the, the flippers, the people that were in it for a quick buck, um, have probably moved on because it's not a quick buck anymore, but they were never collectors. Uh, a lot of people that were lapsed collectors, say people that collected, you know, we'll call it the junk wax era from the early 1990s to the mid 90s that had left the hobby and, and re-entered the hobby in 2020 or 2021. I think the vast majority of those people are still here and still buying. So those people haven't gone away. So the only people that have sort of exited are the are the flippers for the for the most part. That's that's what I see. Um, Can I just jump in quick? Hold that thought. I just want to jump in, Ken, and say that not all the flippers have exited because I I know several and I see several of them still. The ones that have exited are the ones who were just not quite as savvy and really the only way they could be a successful flipper was in that exact market where everything was, you know, anybody could make money in that market if you were buying and selling. So I think the ones that left were the ones who couldn't quite figure out how to, how to pivot or adapt to the, to the evolving market and the changing market. And those that could are still there and they are still doing well. And I know because I see them at show, I've seen them at shows in the last three months, uh, still, you know, providing that service that I do value, which is, moving cards from one region to another to find those good homes. Sorry for interrupting. Please continue. Aren't, aren't they just dealers then? Well, I mean, sure. Right. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, we're all, I mean, there's so many people that set up at card shows that, that are just dealers. When I, when I was referring to flippers, I was referring to the oh, guys that, that the retail guys, the retail guys that the easy money guys, uh, the Walmart lineup, yeah, that's my that's my fault. I don't when I think of flippers, I don't I don't even think about the re, that retail game that was played because that's that's such a thing. That was so temporary, but yeah, you're thanks for calling me out on that because I didn't even consider that. So, yeah, I'm thinking about singles flippers is who what I think about when I think of flippers. Yeah, but maybe I but need that's, to expand that's, my, that's, my thought on that. I, I think those are just more deal. I mean, that's how I mean, that's that's how the market moves quite a bit, right? People we, we, we buy and sell and there's, there's very, very good dealers that just buy and sell singles, you know, and, 
And when you're just setting up at your local card show and, you know, for some people that is the expo, you can work off of small margins. You can work off 15% or 20% uh, when you don't have big travel costs and employees and, and everything else. Right. Definitely. So where did we leave off there? Uh, well, just, you know, again, sort of back to, back to 2023 and uh, yeah, what, what so, year. So going forward, you know, I think it's going to be, you know, I think it'll still be a really strong time for collecting. I think the distribution uh, models probably will affect uh, the U.S. Uh, more than Canada uh, short term. Uh, you know, Fanatics is locked up quite a bit. The, the U.S. dealers have, you know, had... Uh, the luxury of, of, of being able to sell so many products um, through 2020, 2021 um, at, at very large uh, margins. Whereas in Canada, there was almost no product available for dealers because we, we mostly rely on upper deck and, and uh, hockey sales. So the, inter the market could change quite a bit in the U.S., um, I certainly hope they they are still all very very successful. But again, the you know I think just getting your allocations and flipping them to other stores to guys that do breaks. I think those margins will shrink. Um, what on a macro level, like the hobby overall? Never mind. Like I appreciate your comments on on the retail side of things because that's the business you're in. But the industry as a whole. 2023 is it going to are we going to see more commerce in the hobby are we going to see less commerce in the hobby are we going to see you know we've had a proliferation of new companies coming in i became involved with tag grading we've seen other tech companies come into the space all sorts of peripheral services and products coming out you know even the guy who tattooed your logo on his back from slab strong we were seeing more supply companies come in some had Pather, Pather Supplies had a huge presence at the at the expo in Toronto and has been at, at the show at the US shows as well. So um that way, that kind of uh, uh you know, I still see a lot of growth as a, you know, a macro level. I think that uh, there's probably no company that has uh more marketing dollars than fanatics. You know, I, I mean I guess the last valuation I heard on them was fifteen billion dollars. Uh, that's a lot of billions. Uh, you know, when you watch, uh, you know, a, an MLB game, you see fanatics, you know, in the, in, in the grandstands on the, on the, on the walls, they run the websites for MLB, NFL, NHL, uh, NBA. I mean, the marketing dollars that they have to put, uh, trading cards in every stadium across North America, uh, likely every local gas station, never mind every shopping center through lids. Um, they're they're going to get the, those marketing dollars out there and distribution will find levels that, that we haven't seen since the early 1990s. So I think the market's going to grow greatly. Now, who's going to get the biggest share of that? Uh, it's probably be them, but 
I see more dollars being spent on trading cards than ever before going forward. Yeah. And hopefully with, you know, you made that comparison to the early nineties, hopefully fanatics will really look at what happened in the early nineties to not let history repeat itself just in terms of, you know, uh, over, it's going to sound funny coming right now because there's a lot of comments about overproduction and, you know, uh, Panini with, uh, just the mass quantity of product out there, but, um, hopefully they'll, they'll, they'll curb that a little bit. All right. Well, thanks for that, Ken. Uh, a couple comments we're going to go to, and then we're going we're going to wrap this up. But, uh, Jake's toast said I heard a stat that two cards are sold every second on eBay. Sounds about right to me. Grizzly silver agrees with you. Ken always nice talking with like-minded people when visiting the card shops and indeed making friends. And yes, Grizzly, I'm, I'm so with you on that comment. Wayne has joined us. Wayne, good to see you, pal. Says, uh, Kenny from Passime, best card shop in the country. Card show in the shop is my favorite. And Dead Grateful asks a question, says, when will we know the market is flattened out? I have the answer for this. Believe it or not, I know the answer. When we will know the market is flattened out? The answer is after it's flattened out. We will know in hindsight that the market flattened out. I don't think we will know. You'll need 2020 vision for that. We will need some hindsight to know for sure. I don't think we will know when it happens. We will know after it happens. And I hope that's a, that's a satisfactory answer for you. Dead grateful. And Cardboard Chetta says Fanatics has a small fortune because they charge three times what other... I can't read that word. Charge. I collected signed baseballs. And out of the, 100, out of the hundreds, I probably have two Fanatics. Thanks for the comment, Cardboard Cheddar. Ken, we're going to end this thing. We're coming up on two hours. I want to start by thanking you for your time and for rushing home to make it. I know that you were you had an event in the shop today with Kirk McLean. I hope it was successful. To the chat, I want to thank you guys for another. Like we've been doing, we're coming up on. We're not quite there, but we're coming up on three years of Sports Cards Live. Blows my mind, and uh, chat just gets better and better. So I want to thank you guys for being here watching if you're listening later on on podcasts or watching on youtube later on not live thank you for that hope you enjoy it and continue to and um with that ken final word to you and then this episode will be over oh well thanks for having me and uh it's it's been a pleasure and I, i think that's it for me all right well appreciate that and uh if anybody wants to follow pastime sports on instagram you can see it on the ticker right now simply at Pastime Sports, that is Ken's uh, company, four stores in the lower mainland area in just outside Vancouver, British Columbia, which is on the west coast of Canada. It's probably one of the most beautiful places in all of North America. So if you're ever in the area, make sure you go check out Ken and his stores. Thank you, Jake. So appreciate that. Frank Estella, always good to, to see you. And Collector's Dream, really appreciate that. Thank you again, everybody. Thank you, Ken. Hang tight right there. That's it for tonight. We'll see you all on Tuesday, Collectible Live, and back again next Saturday on Sports Cards Live. This episode is over. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.